Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome into a special edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. With me, I have a guest. I have Aaron Canusio. He is part of Basketball Society. He's a writer for them. He's a contributor. He also does NBA draft as well as call, focuses on college hoops as an analyst. Aaron, thanks for taking some time out of your Thursday to come on and chat it up with me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Blaine. I'm excited to get into talking about some prospects for the NBA draft as well as college hoops just in general. Um, you know, kick it a little bit and just talk about whatever's really happening right now in college hoops. And yeah, uh, absolutely. Aaron, for my listeners, why don't you just give some background about yourself and then about basketball society as a whole for us? Yeah. So I, you know, I'll give a little background on how I got started into hoops, you know, in college, you know, Blaine and I both went to Seen Hall together. Um, while I was at Seen Hall, uh, one of the, one of the guys I used to hoop with uh, when I was younger, I had contacted him saying, Hey, you know, I of anything basketball related. And he was a part of EV hoops. And if you don't know what EV hoops is a private NBA scouting service that works with teams all across the country to provide insight analysis, evaluation, just different insights in general. Um, so an example would be like, so I, when I was in Portland, actually following my time at Seton hall, you know, East coast NBA teams are not really going to want to send out people to university of Portland per se. They're going to want to send private scouting services like us, people we already have in Portland say, hey, can you go check out University of Portland? Let us know if there's anyone interesting. Portland State, same thing. Um, so there are a lot of little things like that. You know, I've, I've gotten experience with the analytics side, looking to advanced metrics uh, when evaluating prospects, as well as getting my first door into scouting in general. When I was at Seton Hall, I got to scout, you know, Seton Hall themselves, Monmouth, Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, a lot of teams in that north, Northeast area, and got to learn from some of the best, you know, my head, the hand of analytics at EV hoops at the time is now working for the Clippers, the head of EV hoops. And it's no longer called EV hoops because the name of the Alan Vinokurov, the guy who head up EV, hoop, EV hoops moved on to the LA Lakers as, as one of their head scouts. So, you know, it's, it's a path of a lot of, you know, full-time NBA scouts now uh, have worked for that company. And, you know, I, I was able to gain a really good experience in the basketball world from that. Uh, so from there, you know, during that time, I had done a lot of social media for this place called Basketball Society, which is where I work now. And um, we do a lot of writing, NBA draft, women's hoops, everything you can possibly think of. But our main focus has always been, you know, trying to give light to those who don't always get light shine on them, right? Like that was kind of the whole prospect of Basketball Society in itself. And like I said, you know, until COVID hit, we had done a lot of events, um, like a March Madness type event where we got a lot of people in the New Jersey area because that's where we're really centered. And, you know, just kind of everything. And you can go follow our Instagrams, Basketball Society underscore. We have, you know, 60 plus K uh, thousand followers, you know, just trying to grind and trying to get that better. And you can see a lot of my stuff on their website where I'm doing active NBA draft scouting profiles and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's kind of where we get to now where, you know, I'm just watching G League, NBA draft, content, everything, college basketball, everything I can get a hold of, yeah. I'm going to watch um, so I can continue to evaluate these prospects as we get ready for the NBA draft. No, absolutely, man. You're doing great work out there. So if you guys haven't already, go check uh, Basketball Society out and look at some of Aram's pieces. He's doing some great work out there. So Aram, let's transition to the NCAA just released their top 16 seeds and more than more than anything, it wasn't really much of a surprise. The top four seeds, Ohio State, Michigan, Gonzaga, Baylor, 
And then you have your Oklahoma's, your Texas, Texas Tech, Missouri, uh, et cetera. Was there any team that caught your eye that didn't make the list that who should have been on the list? You know, you know, we talked about this before, how it's a pretty good list. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a good list with uh, a lot of teams well-deserving of being there. For me, you know, I honestly – I've seen a lot of Pac-12 basketball. I've seen a lot of teams that have – you know, to be honest with you, really stood out to me. UCLA is a good team. Colorado is a great team. USC, in my mind, is probably the one team I thought might have sneaked in here. And that's going to be the one team I, I bring up with. Obviously, Evan Mobley, one of the greatest players to come from USC. He's going to be a top three pick, in my mind, without a doubt, barring anything unforeseen come NBA draft time. And I think USC could actually make some noise in the NCAA tournament. I think they're one of the top teams without a doubt right now. Some good guard play, but really it comes down to the Mobley brothers in the paint, just skilled big men, and they're really dominating their competition on a daily basis. Um, I expect them to win the Pac-12 title, get maybe – let's see if they can sneak into a two or maybe even a one seed if they can somehow win out, but pro probably more realistically two or three seed um, if they can – fully went out the Pac-12, but it's a, it's a more and more competitive conference that, you know, has obviously gotten bashed in recent years, but like I said, uh, USC is really, really turning into one of the better teams in the NCAA this year. Yeah. I actually do like USC a lot. I think for them in the committee's eyes that they just, their non-conference schedule was just so poor. They, mm -hmm. they started out the year with eight or nine, like, gimme gimmies you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah so i yeah. think that's i think that was the huge issue for them uh, i mentioned this on tuesday my team was florida state mm -hmm. i i like the seminoles a lot i think they're a real dark horse was just there because leonard hamilton just that he knows how to bring in athletes and they will run the floor they will fly above the rim they'll play defense they'll block shots they hustle they may not be the greatest shooting team but none of his squads have ever been the best shooting team but they're willing to go at it for for the 40 minutes if there's overtime etc and they're playing at 110 miles an hour in comparison to everyone else they just bring a certain edge that i think a lot of teams that they don't really necessitate or really try to live up to so florida state was my squad and i kicked missouri out because missouri's been sliding for me i've been yeah. i mm -hmm. haven't been really impressed of late with them and so who would be your team that you would kick out? Would it be Missouri as well? Yeah, I was thinking so. Missouri, you know, even in their, what was it, about a week and a half ago, they got a good win over Alabama, but they were up about 30 or 20-something at halftime and slowly skidded away. And since then, they just haven't been the same team. You know, Drew Smith is great. Mark Smith, too. That backcourt, Xavier Pinson, like that whole backcourt is fantastic. They can play, and I think they can possibly surprise a team in the NCAA tournament. But as of now, if we're looking just from afar, like a Florida State team, obviously with Gray and Scotty Barnes and those guys, you know, they're just, they're playing great basketball right now. Um, and like you said, with Leonard Hamilton, like you can't really bet against them <laughs> too much. Um, but yeah, USC, um, in my mind, if I were to just put one team in USC, maybe over Missouri is probably the route it go. But again, I can't hate on the NCAA for any really, um, teams they left out of that list you know w without a doubt I agree I think especially with what they did on Saturday and then Saturday's results kind of hindered what they had put out as soon as yeah. as soon as the games got underway because there were teams winning there were teams losing mm -hmm. 
And I think that kind of really hindered the overall productivity that people were like, oh, the NCAA got this completely wrong. We'll just look at Missouri what they after losing to yeah. Arkansas. They lost to Arkansas literally probably just a couple hours after it got released. Yeah. Yeah, and just it just I think yeah. it, it hurt the committee in that way. But I agree. I think they've, other than maybe like like you could have a a small argument about a couple teams, but it wasn't really it's not really drastic that they got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I think mm-hmm. more or less that they were they were on the right track, and they definitely are going to be. I think the tournament's going to be great. I think oh. it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, how do you think that's going to all play out for you with the, with the hub cities just all in the Indianapolis area? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting um, with regard to the level of competition and uh, who has a chance at winning the title. It, th- this is certainly one of those years where, you know, me personally, when I'm making a bracket, I like to be like, you know, what, I think this team can maybe pull it off. They can kind of surprise. And the more and more you watch Gonzaga and Baylor, you're just like, I don't know if anyone can really contest with them, man, if we're being honest. Um, It'll be fun regardless, you know, when it comes down to it in March, like any team can win at any moment, any team can get hot. Um, just when I look at a team like Gonzaga, they're just so complete with a bench that could start on almost any, any top tier caliber uh, NCAA program. And we're looking at that team. It's, it's hard to see a team that can really beat them um, to outshoot them, to out maneuver them in the post. It's just, it's hard to see that, but again, it's the fun of March Madness is all of those little matchups that lead up to it. The eight versus nines, the, you know, the upsets of, cause th- this is a year where, you know, uh, let's say a 14 seed can be a three seed. Like that could very well happen. Um, especially with, you know, with everyone being kind of close together in those hub cities, like you just mentioned, you know, this, it's just going to be a different environment this year. I'm pretty excited. Um, but like I said, you know, if I were to put my money down, uh, it'd be hard to, if, I'd be hard pressed not to include Baylor or Gonzaga in that discussion. Yeah, I think, and I think a lot of the suspense between those two teams is really escalated now because yeah. I think, especially when Gonzaga came out, so searing hot like they were blowing out teams with a vengeance blowing out kansas and then they blew out iowa well they didn't blow them out but the game was never really in question you know what i mean and then like the baylor gonzaga got postponed and then baylor really turned it up a year after the postponement of of the cancel postponement or cancellation of that game i think baylor has actually closed the gap more than people really have thought yeah because i think when it started the year, Gonzaga was here and then there was everyone else. I think there's now a closer gap between Gonzaga and Baylor than there is from Baylor to just hypothetically Michigan or like Ohio state or Villanova, whoever you consider that third best team. Yeah, no, I I would certainly agree with that. And both teams are coached and defend like they're an NBA caliber team. Like that's how they kind of run themselves. Obviously Baylor is, you know, slower paced offense than Gonzaga. Gonzaga is, Grab and go. I mean, like that first game against Kansas that you mentioned, what they score over a hundred points, same thing um, close to it. Pretty much every game since that, that's what they do. And they have Jalen Suggs to lead them. They, it's just such a dominant team. And I know we'll, we'll probably get into some national player of the year talk. And, you know, they certainly got a couple guys there that deserving of recognition at the very least. Um, but yeah, I mean, Baylor, their defense is just out of this world. I mean, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell are just, insanely athletic and defensive minded guards that can shoot it from deep, take anyone off the dribble, both run some good PNR action. 
And, you know, you got Mark, Mark Vital and so many other guys on that Baylor team that you can just put on pretty much at anyone. They switch everything. And yeah. that is something that's so appealing, especially, you know, you mentioned how close they are to a team like Gonzaga. And that's Gonzaga's thing. They'll get switches and then they'll attack those switches. But Baylor, with the full capability of the entire team being able to switch on everyone and, to be honest with you, do a pretty good job of guarding even their bigs guarding guards on switches – it, it's lethal it is a lethal combination of a team. And yes, I like, I would love to see that matchup. Hopefully we get that at some point in the NCAA tournament. That'd be just electric. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big things for Scott Drew's Baylor squad is that he's really pulled like a Jim Bayheim and said, I am committed to this zone. I yeah. am committed. Even though they're switching, it's more of a matchup or a one, three, one. He has committed and, pushed away man-to-man offense defense really mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the interesting components that Baylor really has is that they are so committed and athletic and they're willing to play hard defensively and they're willing to switch they're willing to take charges they're willing to force turnovers deflect passes they will do whatever it takes and mm-hmm. that commitment to have guarding a zone because rebounding is always the biggest issue when you're a zone defensive team yeah you could always get hammered on the offensive boards Mm -hmm. and they rebound extremely well all five positions collapse it's not they don't have people leaking out they make sure that they're controlling that tempo of the game if they're going five deep five deep to go get a rebound and then control the pace of the game they're perfectly content with that so it's really unique to see a a yin and yang of tempos you have gonzaga who's high fly and loves to showcase their offensive ability and then Baylor, who's more willing to, hey, we'll, we'll we'll tough it out for 40 minutes, and if we win by two or three points, we don't really care. If the game's <laughs> in the 50s, it doesn't bother us. We don't mind that. Mm-hmm. Well, Gonzaga's like, all right, let's get this thing in. Let's get this into a racetrack. Let's be oh, yeah. first one to 85 or 90 wins. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much. It's really interesting to see the comparison of the two squads. Yeah, 100%. So for you, what is going to be the biggest uh, – you were talking about National Player of the Year talk already. So who's your guy right now? I think for Gonzaga, they have so many pieces that they're going to just take away each other's votes. Yeah. I think it's going to hinder them. So who would you put right now as your Player of the Year? Yeah, I mean, me personally, I, I have a couple names in mind. Um, obviously, everyone right now is thinking Luca Garza, um, and he probably deserves it given – I mean, the numbers he was putting up, in non-conference play are just staggered. Like it just didn't make sense. <laughs> and when, when you actually like break it down, it's like, okay, you know, those non-conference teams, like they're uh, the lower tier ones. I say the low D one tier teams are for the most part playing, you know, six, seven bigs when they're having to go against seven foot Luca Garza. And that's just <laughs> unfair for the most part, but the ability he's had to stretch it out from three, you know, I got the chance to actually talk, interview him last year. I was talking to him, did an article on him, and he's just a good-hearted, down-to-earth kid who just continues – it just loves ball, and he just wants to get better and better. And that's one thing about Luca Garza I will commend. And I would – I 100% would vouch for him, number one. Uh, if I were to say someone from Gonzaga, given their undefeated record and given the fact that, yeah, probably they're going to end undefeated here um, after, you know, conference play – I, I would probably give it to Corey Kispert, how well he's played, how well he shot the ball. Um, Drew Timmy obviously is right there as well, given, you know, his improvements from last year. But Corey Kispert, you know, I remember he was actually someone I 
I scouted, I believe it was his freshman year in 2017 when I was talking about University of Portland. They obviously being in the same conference as Gonzaga got to face Rui Hachimura, uh, young Corey Kispert, you know, that um, entire team. And I, you know, the one thing you saw from Kispert early was, okay, this, this kid can flat out shoot the ball. Like there is no, there's undoubtedly one thing you can say about Corey Kispert. He's going to shoot so well in any given game. And he's, he's held that true this entire season. He's been shooting so well. And the one thing I've seen improving from him is that defensive equity he brings to the game. He is not a, I, I can't call him a defensive stalwart by any, um, by any stretch of the imagination, but Corey Kispert is definitely fundamentally sound on that end. And he's someone you can trust. And for someone like Gonzaga during conference play, during tournament play, you know, they, you know, they do have some young guys. They do have some veteran play obviously as well, but Corey Kispert is one of their leaders without a doubt. Um, so yes, I would, I, if I were to get it, give it to someone from Gonzaga, it'd be Timmy or him probably lean towards Kispert. But like you said, that's kind of the issue where it lies is that, they might cancel each other out and be like, all right, if we have to give it to one person, we give it to Garza. Now, the last person I'll just discuss real quick is Io Desumu from Illinois. And I love He's my him. pick. He's my yeah, pick he's, at the moment, man. Kid's so special. Good. Kid is he's special. Oh, so man. He is fantastic. And and this is the one thing about Io that I, I absolutely love is that you go to his stat line and you look at how he played. If he shot three for 12, three for 15, 15 for 15, obviously, you know, that hasn't happened this year, but no matter what he's shooting, you go and watch the tape of him, he is playing out of his mind. He's playing hard as anyone. He is leading his team. He's communicating with everyone. He is just so great out there. And to be honest with you, that Illinois team, they are underperforming for the most part. And they are a very talented team. And Ayo Desumu is still just carrying that team to what? what? What was their ranking? Their top five team? They're, at this fi- they're fifth now. They're fifth. Yeah, I mean, that, and there's one reason for that. You know, the one thing I can say about Iowa is they are surrounded by just elite shooters. They have a lot of great shooters on that team. And while Illinois, yes, they do have some talent around him. Like Adam Miller, I'm still waiting for him to take that next step. And I think yeah. it might take a year or two. But it really comes down to Iowa. And a lot of what Desumu's done on the court has just been – eye-popping for the most part he, he put up a ridiculous triple double just about a year week ago excuse me and you know he's just even in those bad games like I said and that's the marks that's the mark of a true hooper and as someone who's extremely good at this game and understands basketball in general and what they need to do to win and it seems like every single night in and night out Io Desumo is performing well enough to get his team at least there at the end of the game yeah and for me, he, he's my I, he's my player of the year at the moment. I love Luca Garza, but again, I, you answered the question that like the people he was going against, he was so it was a, it was a mismatch. Is yeah. is it is an understatement? And yep. for but for the one thing that I can praise about Luca Garza for sure is that he gets his within the offense. It's mm. not him being a ball dominant, having to just post up and make him go to work. The offense is still being ran and he's either getting an offensive rebound, he's doing it, the little things. And then when he gets his opportunity to score, he takes advantage of it. So he is getting his points and his rebounds through the confines of the offense, which is really impressive and kudos to him. But for me, it's a Sunmo. He's doing everything on the floor. He's playing, he's playing, he's playing point guard. He's playing shooting guard. He'll even sometimes he's playing small forward when they go small. 
He's doing that, those little things. He's averaging 21, six and five. I think people really forget that he's at has six, he's averaging six boards and five assists. Yeah. And then he's shooting almost 50% from the field over 42% from the three point line. Mm-hmm. Like he's yeah. doing it all. And I really, I agree. Illinois, I've had uh, Pat Lawless on earlier in the year or back in 2020. And he was saying he, Illinois is his dark horse to win the whole thing. Yeah. So, and I, I agree with him. I think it's going to be hard, but yeah. just the, the amount of guard play that they have at their disposal is absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, agree with that. I, I love, I'll I love Illinois. I think they're going to really surprise some people, but I think the biggest thing is that, they're still the third best team in the Big Ten at the moment, right? Yeah. You have Michigan, they've only lost once. Ohio State, I think, has exceeded all expectations this year. Yeah. I thought for them, Ohio State was going to be a bubble team. And now yeah. they're potentially going to be a one seed. What what is what is the overall play of the Big Ten been for you? Because I think they've been the best conference and it's not even close. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, obviously I talked about the Pac-12 and we can break it down. Big 12, you know, you have some people who have stood out. Texas Tech has taken a little tiny dip lately and so has Texas. Um, but yeah, if we are to break it down, Big 10, probably the best conference right now. Obviously, ACC, a down year, um, I would argue. And then, yeah, with the Big 10, I, I actually really like Michigan. I think Michigan probably uh, becomes the top team there. And Isaiah Livers has been fantastic. Hunter Dickinson has played really well as a freshman. He'll continue to get better. And I think as I, you know, as I break down that big 10, I think Illinois definitely is up there. Do I put them a little behind Michigan? Probably yes, in my opinion. Uh, But I, I probably would put them a little above Ohio state. Ohio state is lacking guard play right now. I've, you know, I was one to say, you know, I was really expecting a huge year of Seth Towns. And it's not that he hasn't impressed me totally, but the whole thing about Seth Towns has been that, you know, he's coming off this injury. He hasn't played in a couple of years. He's, you know, that transfer from Harvard. He hasn't been able to take that next step that I was expecting from him. Um, but we'll, we'll see if that um, ends up uh, changing over these next couple of weeks as he gets more and more time. Uh, but like I said, if I were to claim it right now, Michigan, I think, just has the veteran presence as well as still the talent to take them to the Big Ten. But in, in general, that Big Ten is going to be fun to watch without a doubt uh, in these upcoming weeks and as we're le- uh, leading into conference tournament play. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I want to get I, – I had this wild take the other day, and I want to get your opinion on it. I mm-hmm. thought this this year as we're going to switch to Big 12. I think this is Lon Kruger's best coaching job ever what he's done with this Oklahoma squad. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're definitely not wrong on that. Uh, I think uh, Oklahoma is, I mean, let's say who uh, I'm trying to remember exactly who has been out for Oklahoma. I think Austin Reeves was out for the past couple weeks with, because of COVID and they're still, they're still beating teams. He just came back for the West Virginia game when he hit the game winner. Yes, sir. Yeah. I remember the, that's who it was. Oklahoma against Alabama. I remember watching that game. Um, Three starters. Three stars. Yep. And I was watching that game and I'm like, is this team that deep? I thought they had no chance of actually pulling that one out. But I had, I told all my sports betting people take Alabama 
and they yeah. threw me a curveball and a half. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, yo, let me uh, turn on my light real quick. No worries, no worries. You're good. But I think I more than anything, my goodness. Yeah. Long Kruger, what he's done has been absolutely immaculate of a coaching yeah. job, what he's been yeah, doing I mean, with COVID. Um, their guard play off the bench, I, I – a lot of those guys, you know, I didn't even really hear of before this year. Um, obviously, me focusing so much on NBA draft talk and so many of that. And I'm just watching Oklahoma. I'm like, you know, if this team was going to be the team they were going to be, I thought it was Brady Manick and Austin Reeves you're going to have to fully rely on. And their depth has just come out of nowhere. And they're competing every single solitary night. And they're definitely a fun team that can um, – that is definitely going to continue to surprise teams in the big 12. Mm. Obviously that's probably Baylor's conference um, yeah, to claim for anyone else to touch them. It's going to be tough, but yeah, Oklahoma has certainly surprised this year. Yeah, for sure. So what are some games that you're looking forward to this week? Um, I think tonight, if I here, let me uh, break down this real quick. You got um, Iowa, Wisconsin tonight. Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And then I, Houston, I think yeah, Houston at Wichita is a is a sneak is a trap game for the Cougars tonight. Yeah, Wichita State at home, I believe. Yeah, at uh, home. Yep. Yeah, and they if uh, I'm trying to remember exactly the name of their guard on their team. Uh, names in college basketball always figure that. Out. Let me get his name. Tyson Etienne for Wichita. Tyson Etienne. Yep, hundred percent. I I was able to watch him earlier this year, and he is. You know, whether his transition to professional basketball will be successful or not is a different discussion. But at this level, at the collegiate level, Tyson Etienne has been an insanely efficient and creative scorer at this level. And he is someone who continues to carry Wichita State and keeps them in every single game. And I like that you mentioned that Houston, you know, one thing about Houston is they're a very hard team to beat if they're hitting their shots. But if they're not hitting their shots, they, they can lose on any given night. Yeah. You know, and having someone like Quentin Grimes, you know, he um, and Giroux, they're not – I would love to say, you know, I've been waiting for Grimes, and he's having a more consistent season this year, but we're still – there's still those games where they come out and you're like, oh, man, how is this this close of a game? You know, I, mm-hmm. I think it was against UCF earlier this year yeah. where I was watching them, and I, I had no idea – UCF couldn't hit anything, but Houston wasn't getting anything really going yeah. at the rim. They were settling for jump shots. They were settling for nothing. Nothing simple really came to them too much. And a team like Wichita State, who likes to get out and run, they they could have uh, you know a good <laughs> a good time tonight uh, if Tyson Etienne is hitting his shots. They can certainly do that. Yeah, um, that, and Houston lost to East Carolina, I think, last week. I believe it was either last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was I East it was Carolina hard. just yeah. got their number and they couldn't make anything. Yeah. Oh, and then I, I just remembered I'm looking at the schedule right now. Colorado versus Oregon tonight. That is actually probably my most. It's, really? It's, yeah, it's a really? late one on the East Coast. But um, now that I'm Oregon, happy, I love the West Coast love. <laughs> oh, I love I love watching the Pac-12. I mean, obviously, if you can get Bill Walton on any kind of con- uh, broadcast, it's prime content. It's prime content no matter what. Um, <laughs> and so one thing about um, – so Oregon, Colorado. McKinley Wright fourth is insane. He's one of the best yep. guards in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is uh, maybe a top five, top ten. Top ten for sure, point guard coming into the NBA draft. 
But as well, just at the collegiate level, he's finding all of his teammates, making the game easier. And it's really, it's really resonating in his teammates' stats all across the board. He doesn't even have that many great shooters around him. And that's the thing that's so great is that they actually shoot well because of what he creates for them. He's attacking the rim. You know, lately, um, I, I think in their most recent game, he wasn't playing at his best. But if I know anything about these kind of guards, you know, the Cassius Winston types, the McKinley Wright types where, hey, listen, like they're going to come at you. They're going to they're not going to have two bad games in a row. And that's what I'm expecting from McKinley Wright tonight against Oregon. And then for Oregon, obviously, the big point to talk about is big player to talk about is Chris Duarte, who is fantastic. Finally back healthy, which I'm excited about because he had that nasty ankle injury about a week or two ago. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy he's healthy. Um, he hit the game winner, I believe, against Arizona. It was just the other week. Um, so I, I'm really happy that he's back, uh, looking forward to seeing that game. And yeah, I believe, yeah, Colorado 16 and six against a 12 and four Oregon team like that. Yeah. That is, that is one of my, that is definitely the one I remember now that I'm super excited to see tonight, 11 PM Eastern time. Um, but it looks like you're good where you are. So that's fine. I, I'm good. It's only nine o'clock here. I'll be up ready to rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> you got plenty of time for that. And I don't know if Bill Walton's doing it, but if Bill Walton's on it, man, you got to stay it's up. ESPN two. I would be stunned if it's not yeah. Walton tonight. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. With that being said, I think, like I said, I think USC is probably the top tier team in the Pac-12 right now, but either one of these teams can realistically uh, challenge them for that top uh, mm-hmm. seed in that conference. And both have an equal chance, I think, to win tonight because I, I probably give the edge to Oregon just because of how Colorado kind of played the last game. But uh, both teams are extremely good, and um, I'm super excited to see that. Yeah, without a doubt. And the Pac-12, you got five or six teams that are over 500 at the moment, which is almost unheard of in yeah. the past five, 10 years with them being so down. And they mm-hmm. were sometimes they were begging to just get a second team into the into the dance. And they've got a great chance yeah. to get three, potentially four teams in this year, which is mm-hmm. phenomenal for them. Because yeah. you have what, UC, USC, you got UCLA is playing solid ball. I mean, they've been hit by yeah. the – postponements a couple times already yeah. Oregon's had a solid year Colorado 16 and 6 Arizona 14 and 7 uh Stanford Stanford's had a little bit of a resurgence this oh, year yeah the problem with Stanford yeah obviously Stanford has been great but losing Zaire Williams for a while that's that's certainly hurt that team. yeah definitely um, he's back now um and Stanford I expect to compete tough with all of these top tier teams, but you know, airs like you're just go, <laughs> continuing on with what you're saying, even Arizona, like they've, they're a fantastic team. James Akinjo uh, leading guard for that team with Benedict Matherin, who's playing out of his mind. Ben, ben Matherin is exceptional athlete, exceptional player. I mean, there are just so many good players in this PAC 12, but you're really not used to saying this. Like yeah. I'm not used to talking about the PAC 12 uh, all this much, but um, and then with that being said, yeah, I mean, even the bottom seat, outside of, like, Washington and uh, California, like, Washington State, Arizona Cal, State. Cal just got Colorado. That their Cal got yeah, Colorado yeah. last time out. That was Cal. That was Cal that su- surprised Colorado. So, you know, even though I say outside of those two teams, they're still <laughs> they're still yeah, in Exactly. Arizona still- State's no scrub under Hurley. No. I mean, they're having a little bit of a down year, but they're all they – they're only – they just can't close out games for Arizona State. Same yeah. with Washington State. They're over 500. I mean – I mean, not in conference play. They've a little bit struggled a little bit, but still, like, the yeah. competition has been 
absolutely outstanding, I think, yeah. for the Pac-12. The thing about the Arizona State, you know, if you had told me prior to this year, hey, Pac-12 is probably going to get four or five or six teams into the tournament, yeah, and that didn't include Arizona State, I would I would have just walked away. I'd be like, oh, what are you absolutely. I, I have no idea. Arizona State's like Marcus Bagley has you know hasn't lived up, I guess, a, to the hype. I get this, I guess, mm-hmm. at this level, but he's so young, so I can't just yeah. like there's nothing I can say about this. Same thing with Josh Christopher; he hasn't been the most efficient. Um, and then I've well. The whole thing with that team, obviously, is, you know, Remy Martin missed those couple games, I believe, because um, of a death in his family, and mm-hmm. he had to miss a few ones. But I think, yeah, Remy Martin still, he would have been one, I'd say, coming into this year, like, hey, like, I, I think I think he's probably 20, 23, 24 point per game scorer. He's insane. He was great last year. He's His quickness is off the charts. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it just hasn't been – the chemistry, I guess, with that team just hasn't been there. So that's been the one thing with Arizona State. Um, I, I would still bet on them to be a somewhat surprise in the Pac-12 tournament, but it all depends on what matchup they get and if they can match up well. Because for the most part, they can match up well with any team. But like you said, if they can't finish games, it's not going to do them any good. Yeah, without a doubt. And mm-hmm. then before we transition to your top prospects that you got, I want to ask you this question because I know Jalen Johnson, he just opted out with three weeks left in the season, mm-hmm. I've been a little harsh on him. I'm going to, I'm cause I think, I mean, I know they've him and Duke have not been on the same page from the start. That yeah. has been absolutely clear. They've had their issues Then he mm-hmm. got hurt and then he could have easily have just opted out then, but then he came back and now he's opting out again. Yeah. Is he, is he quitting on Duke? Cause I think he's personally just quitting now in that knowing that they now realize that Duke is not going to be a team that's going to make the tournament unless they go crazy in the, in these last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, obviously I saw that John Rothstein tweet and I think everyone went crazy after that. Um, yeah. Everyone was going crazy at Rothstein the other night. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to be honest, like from, from someone like Rothstein, it, it seems cynical. Let me say um, yeah. in the sense that like, Hey man, you are getting paid to be a national writer while this man's not getting paid to play basketball. Someone you're writing about. So, you know, I I don't want to be harsh on anyone here, but I I feel very strongly that, you know, we have to let this man make his own decision. And that's what it breaks down to for me is that, you know, Jalen Johnson is a top 10 prospect. I've seen it many, many times before where something happens, whether it's an injury or something unrelated that leads to them dropping. I mean, like Karis LeVert was a second round pick only because of injuries. And if there was anything else, he was, a, he was an early, early or late first round pick. I forget exactly where he was drafted, but he's an early first round pick if it weren't for injuries. And it's the same thing that could potentially happen. So regardless of it being a COVID year, you know, I, I'm a strong believer of, hey, man, if you don't want to play because of something related to COVID, like, and, and this hit me when, you know, remember what happened with Keontae Johnson. When that happened, I was like, I don't care. You don't want to play. It's your decision. You're, you're not being paid to do it. Do whatever you want to do. But when it comes down to, like, what happened with him, and I know it might not have been directly related to COVID, because but it could have very well been. And how we would have reacted differently, I don't know. But I so when it I, was it was correlated to COVID. He's got the heart. Was, yeah, he's got the he had the heart condition. He's okay. got it. Okay, so it was the it was the heart condition that came from having it. Is yeah, it? he gets the myocarditis that you get potentially after COVID. That, see, that's even worse now. <laughs> so I'm, that's why I'm stunned at how many people have still continued to play. 
Yeah, yeah. So am I. And that's, you know, whether I believe this college basketball season even should have happened the way it has with regard to travel and all that. That's that's something else that we had have to decide. But for Jalen Johnson right now as a top 10 pick, as someone who, you know, he had he was dealing with health issues. He was dealing with other things. And I understand from the outside perspective, hey, Duke's not playing that well, like Jalen Johnson. You know, why are you not doing this? He's, he's an unpaid – I understand the concept of having a scholarship, but he has to focus on himself. I mean, what would have we said if Jalen Johnson stayed, got hurt or got COVID and got really sick and then affected his entire draft process? I'm assuming we would have said, Ed, you should have sat out, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty much it. I mean, when we look at, you know, college football seniors or juniors when they want to – you know, they, they choose not to play in a bowl game. I, I know some those some people still say, hey, you shouldn't play, but you got to do what's best for you. And I understand football is a more, you know, more contact-oriented sport, but injuries can happen whenever. And with given COVID, it can happen whenever. You can hit a team whenever, especially with Duke, where their coach, Coach K, was someone who adamantly said, hey, maybe we shouldn't finish this season. Do you think that was looming over Duke the entire year after he already said that? Because then the women ended up quit ended up yeah. ending their season. Do you think that was always in the mindset of the kids that like the university is just going to shut us down anyway? So what's I'm, the point of us yeah. trying to play? I'm sure that could have been, you know, especially for, I mean, Duke is comprised of what, obviously people who just love basketball and really want to make the NBA. That is predominantly what that team is going to be. And I'm, I'm not going to discredit anyone who goes to Duke who like, Hey, I just want to win championships or whatever. That's great. But a lot of these kids, I'm sure it was in the back of their mind, like, hey, my coach is saying we should probably not even play this season. And now we're losing and now this. And I'm sure. And to top of that all off, Jalen Johnson barely got any playing time in the last game, right? So yeah, if we're like thinking, in six or eight minutes, something yeah, low like that. Minutes. So if we're just thinking logistically about this, okay, so he's getting less and less time with his coach. He is at risk for COVID. He could potentially get hurt. Who knows? Again, yeah. It, you're only going to hurt your draft stock. And that's just how we have to think, right? Like if I have a job and I, you know, I, I'm not necessarily a quitter if I want to move to a different job, right? I, that, I don't think that makes me a quitter if I'm, if I'm like not, maybe not staying for my two weeks or putting in my two weeks and saying, hey, listen, I want to go here, make some more money. Like that's kind of how I perceive it is that Jalen Johnson is a young kid just trying to make a buck, trying to make his money once he can move on to the NBA and ensure his future. And if that's his decision, that's all up to him. And, you know, I, I think it's – we if we get to a point in our society where we're looking at in, – in basketball in general, um, and we're looking at kids who just want to, you know, 18-year-olds trying to make this decision for themselves as to not put their life in harm's way, I got to commend him for that, to be honest with you. So that's kind of how I feel with it. Yeah, and now that you mentioned that he's going to probably be a top 10 pick or a minimum a lottery draft pick, who do you have? What do your top prospects look like at the moment? Yeah, so give me like your top five if you can. Okay, if we're going to do top five, so uh, I think one and two for me are I don't think they're etched in stone, but they're getting there. Um, Cade Cunningham is certainly, I think, etched in stone. I don't think I'm going to touch that. He's number one. And it's clear he's number one. I, I saw this poll people were talking about um, before about who would you rather have, Tyler Hero or Cade Cunningham? They were talking about that from last year. Um, and this was from last year. This was before Cade Cunningham played in college. And okay. it was 
majority was Tyler Hero. And obviously, this was during a time where Hero was killing it in the bubble. And <laughs> Tate Cunningham was still a high school prospect who hadn't gotten to college yet. Yeah. Um, but looking back now, I'm like, oh, I'm telling you right now, any team that can afford to get someone like Cade Cunningham, be blessed. You are a blessed team because this is going to be a run for that lottery because there are some teams that would benefit over the number two guy or what have you. But Cade Cunningham, his passing chops, his ability to hit, he's been in the clutch situations, has already performed. Uh, like I said, at his height, the passing chops that we've seen, the ability to handle the ball, we have not really seen since LeBron. Like, we have not seen that. Really? Now, I don't, yeah, I, I don't want to – I heard like, the comparison of Luka a lot. What do you think on that? Yeah, I see that. I think Luka uh, – the one thing about Luka is his, I guess, craftiness comes from his deceleration, kind of when he's attacking the basket. Cade Cunningham goes a little quicker. He's more of a snap of a finger. He, he makes quick, decisive moves. Um and Luca, Luca's upbringing was just so much different than Cade, so it's it's kind of hard to do it. But I, obviously, I like that. I like a bigger guard who has great vision, great passing acumen, who can take people off the dribble, has an array of moves to go to. I think Luca has a little more array of moves right now than Cade Cunningham. Um, but I think Cade Cunningham's defensive presence is actually a lot bigger than someone of Luka Doncic. I think he brings a lot more defense. Now, I'm not saying I'd pick Cade over Luka. Luka has shown it at the top, top level. Um, and the comparison is not – I'm definitely not discrediting it. I think it's a fine one to say. The only reason um, I think of, like, LeBron is just the – obviously, athleticism is stepped down. We're not touching LeBron. No one's touching LeBron, I don't think, for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, but his his rotations he makes defensively, just the instincts he brings to the game, his feel for the game is just next level. So I, I think if we're giving – if people are trying so hard to find reasons as to not have Cade Cunningham right, number one, that's when you know that man's number one. And that's kind of how I break it down with Cade. Um, and for someone like him, he, he has shown he doesn't even need to be ball dominant. And that's a big component for me too. When you're looking at guards and they're just willing to make the extra pass – sit on the wing, hit the open catch and shoot uh, jump shot. It doesn't really matter with Cade. He's really exhibited so many characteristics that are akin to a top prospect and the number one prospect. So with that being said, move on to Evan Mobley at number two. Um, so th these are throughout a lot of people. Well, there are a couple other guys who I'll mention next that can slip into that number two spot. Like I said, I think Cade stays at number one, but Evan Mobley's prowess as the defender, given his height. It kind of reminds me, obviously, them going to the same college last year, Onyeka Kungu, kind of reminds me of that, just the defensive prowess he can bring. Mobley's mobility, given his height, is just next level. And it's something I haven't seen in a bit for someone that can possibly play a center position in the NBA. And that is where we're going to. This, this NBA transition it's not so much people, you know, people cite Embiid and Jokic as, hey, these guys who are um, these guys who are next level bigs, it, are we returning back to the big era? Like, are, are we going away from guys? It's not so much that. It's that skilled bigs are the next thing. Skilled bigs. So Embiid being able to post up, Jokic being able to handle, and then Evan Mobley being able to switch onto anyone on defense and just provide that defensive prowess that could really help. And he can grab and go. He can grab that rebound, put it down. His handle's not, you know, it's not, he's not going to go into the NBA and handle the ball, take up the ball and just be insane. But once he gets a camp, a training camp with an NBA team, he gets some experience, he's going to be great. He's going to be very good. And that defensive prowess 
is really going to help him um, for the future. So as we move on, <coughs> excuse me, I, for number three, I've kind of juggled around with my top five for a while. Um, I've watched a lot of G League basketball. So I think I'm going to slot in Jonathan Kaminga there. I think Jonathan oh, Kaminga okay. is uh, my third prospect right there. Um, now, I, I would I would certainly – I love Jalen Suggs, and I'll just mention him now because he'd be four. Um, it's three or four between those two. The one thing for Jonathan Kaminga that makes me so excited about his game is the fact that his size, his positional strength, he is a man. He is already ready, and he is 18. He does not turn 19 until, I believe, October. So this man is – he's literally a man ready to – he's already ready to be in the NBA. Now, his shot is something we're going to have to work on. His jump shot, his set shot, it's going to take some time for him to fully adjust to the NBA and fully adjust to the NBA three-point line because I've seen some shots that have just gone awry. But I've also seen when he takes a little time, takes three, four, or takes a second, takes a breath in and actually aims, like actually just lets it fly and actually thinks it through, he can hit it and he can hit it at an efficient rate, I think, at some point in his NBA career. We're not there yet. Um, his defensive uh, mechanics are going to need some work, but as an on-ball defender, I'm okay with him, especially given his strength and his length. He can provide good help defense and provide some, I, I know in the G league, I think it was there. It was either their first or second game. He had the game winning block for the team. So yeah, I believe it was the second game. So he has shown the ability defensively. Um, he has, Oh no, it was the first game, but I, either way um, he has shown the ability to, uh, play on both ends of the court, insane athleticism, finish at the rim, controlled finishes. He's not chaotic at all when he goes to the rack. And he's just a fantastic ball player who just continues to get better every game. Um, and then so I mentioned Jalen Suggs, and that's someone, you know, when it comes down to the NBA draft, obviously it's it's all fit-based, right? Like yeah, if you're number three, Yeah, if you're number three and you need a primary ball handler more than you need someone who can, you know, be a spot-up shooter but also – uh, secondary initiator on offense, you're going to go with someone like Jalen Suggs. But I'd have Jalen Suggs number four right here. And to be honest with you, Jalen Suggs, he's an interesting prospect because <clears throat> for him, I won't really watch too much of him until I watch a couple more conference play. But you don't really care as much about Gonzaga's conference play as you care about their non-conference play. So when I saw yeah. Jalen Suggs in his non-conference play, it was insane. And I, I was making overreactions in my head, like, all right, Jalen Suggs, maybe it's top two prospect right now. I mean, maybe it's the best player in this entire class. And he certainly is there, you know, off the dribble, live dribble passing. He can do so much on the court. And um, he's really just his core uh, vision's unreal. Uh, insane, insane ability to pass the rock. And Part of that is Gonzaga's great offense. Part of that is having someone like Corey Kisper. Corey Kisper is going to get you assists when you don't even deserve assists. Like, that's just who he is, right? Drew Timmy, quick action in the post. There's no there's no throw the ball to Drew Timmy. He looks around, holds the ball for five seconds, dribble, dribble, post hook or something. Like, that, that's not what Drew Timmy does. It's quick action. It grabs the ball, little mini hook, good post move, whatever it is. And like we were talking about before, Gonzaga's just quick offense. That's what they do. So, um, with that, Jalen Suggs is already used to an NBA offense. And that's the appealing thing for him is that he's got shooters around him. He knows how to run offense efficiently, an NBA-type offense. Mark Few has made sure of that. And I'll never forget that one Jalen Suggs game, I believe, yeah, it was against West Virginia, where it looked like he went down with an Achilles tear. Like I, 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 Yeah, 
and the whole world put up was on notice. And then he freaked, he came back and he makes it perfect. He just puts up in real numbers. He didn't score, but like he was still passing the ball all over the court. I, I tore my Achilles playing hoop about two years ago, and you know when that happens. I did the he did the exact same stuff I did to a T. Down to the T, he did the exact same thing. And I was just like, oh, there's no way he comes back. It, worst case scenario, it was a bad Achilles strain, and you're out for a couple weeks, maybe done for the season. Like, that's honestly, like, best case scenario in my head. And he literally goes to the locker room and just – you see him start running, and he comes out. And it's like he's limping on the floor. I'm just like, what? Like, and, and that's the whole thing. That's what it comes down to is, like, I, I guarantee you NBA teams are going to look at that game. That is his game to watch. Like, that is one of the games to watch because this shot wasn't even falling that much. He didn't play the entire game. But – he still willed himself and got the game-winning block that game too. Like, I know we're talking about Kaminga's game-winning block. He had the game-winning block in that one. Or I'll say game-clinching, not game-winning. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> it was – that was one of the more insane games to watch uh, from Jalen Suggs. And it just epitomizes who he is. And he's literally a lion out there. Like, he will do anything to win the game. It won't matter. He's an exceptional athlete, exceptional scorer. Um off the dribble, step backs. He sh- he's shown really at all. Even with the awkward release, people could kind of argue it works for him. He-, he makes it look good. And that's what it comes down to. And I know people will cite, hey, Lonzo had a good three-point percentage in UCLA. But guess what? Lonzo is actually shooting really well this year for the Pelicans. Like, it, it might take some time to you fully become comfortable with an NBA three-point line with your shot. Um, but if you're put into a good system, you're put into a system where – you know, they're, they have history of developing good jump shooters, then someone like Jalen Suggs could certainly become one of the best players out of this class. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But, and then lastly, like, I have so many people I'd love to put five to remark on. I love Sharif Cooper. I love his passing. Oh, my gosh. He's been an absolute superstar since he's been able yeah. to come up back onto the floor. Oh, just because of his size, he's not number five. But I, let's talk about him real quick because Sharif Cooper is probably the greatest passer I have ever seen at the collegiate level during my time. Like, it is live dribble passing, offhand alley-oop passes to his teammates. It's just – insane to see what he does his intelligence on the court he tricks defenses with his eyes he literally maneuvers the defense to move as he's looking and he's running an entire offense he's telling his teammates what to do hey you go that that's akin to lebron that's literally what lebron does out on the court and he's just literally directing traffic directing where everyone has to go now obviously with sharif cooper the negatives that well not negatives just things he has to work on would be you know his shot needs a lot of work um, his, you know, small frame doesn't give them the full ability to really become a defensive stopper as well as be able to take someone off the dribble because the burst is not at an elite, elite level. It's not Ayo Desumu type, right? It's not there, um, but it's good. It's good. And it's still lightning in a bottle, though. Yeah. When yeah. he gets going, he is mm-hmm. unstoppable. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Now, obviously, you know, his negatives, you can see a lot in that Kentucky game. He still played really good defense. Um, and he still passed the ball, like I said, exceptionally well. But um, that'll just take some time as he gets to the next level. And I hope he gets into a good system. I hope he gets into a system where he can kind of see the game from the bench, come off as a backup one, um, just kind of lead the bench. Kind of like akin to like what LaMelo did this year for the Hornets. Obviously, his was super quick transition to the league, um, and he's already a starter now. Uh, maybe like, a, you know, obviously like Tyrese Halliburton's doing the same thing coming off the bench for the Kings. Hopefully he gets to do that for a team just coming off the bench, handle the ball. 
maybe back up to like Cole Anthony or something like that. Work those two together. But um, uh, let me transition to the one I guess I would play at five. Um, I can talk about these prospects all day. Trust me. But uh, I believe it, man. Yeah. <laughs> like Jaden Springer is someone who's killed it. But I, I will talk about Jalen Green as my number five right now. Um, he's in the G League. Yeah. And Jalen Green, I watched his first game. I just wrote an article about this for Basketball Society. And I, I watched, after watching his first game, you saw that first game, you're like, whoa, this guy's a top five prospect? I'm like, no, no, he's not. Um, and the more you watch a Jalen Green, the more you realize, okay, it's game by game with him. You watch that first game, you're like, nah. he, he That's doesn't have an abnormality. Yep, yep. And then that second game, you watch him, it's like, oh, my gosh, wait, what? This is, a, this is the same player? Um, he had a different hairstyle, but this is the same player? Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's literally the same player. And then we get to this fifth game they just played, and I, I swear, like, I, I saw a whole different Jalen Green utilizing his athleticism to his benefit when it was a detriment to him in his first game. In his first game, you know, he was using the athleticism out the wazoo and just trying to, like, jump over people or dunk on people. And, you know, that takes some transition. It's like in high school, Jalen Green could probably jump, jump from inside the free throw line, dunk on any person who got in his way. And it just doesn't work this way, right? He has to improve his functional strength and his off-ball defensive equity, but uh, his on-ball defense has gotten better. He's locking in. He's moving off-ball better. He's attacking off the catch, and that's so important for young players. Catch the ball, attack right away. Obviously, you got to wait. watch for that travel because that's being called all the time now, but you got to attack right away. Put that rock down and just go straight at him because help defense is coming, and if you try to size them up and they get their feet set, it's going to be a lot harder to take them off the dribble. You're no longer in high school. You're at the G League level where these are the top-tier collegiate athletes, and that's, I think, one reason I'm actually putting Jalen Green 5 is, that, is the fact that – I think more and more collegiate uh, high school players are going to be going this route because it's really making these players look good. In my opinion, in my assessment, all four of these top G League Ignite prospects, Jalen Green, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, I guess it depends on Jalen Green how you perceive them coming in. But for me, Jalen Green was later top five, like closer to – or top eight, I should say, like seven or eight. And now he's – like I said, he's probably five or six. And – Given how he's played these last couple games, I have him five now. And I think J- Jalen Green, Jonathan Kamega, like I said, Dacia Nix, and Isaiah Todd have all improved their stock. And I think G League is really <coughs> churning out these guys and making them look better for NBA prospects. Um, that's not to say the college product isn't good, but, you know, situations like Jalen Johnson, like we talked about, where sometimes the system doesn't really work for you, it does kind of hurt your value somewhat. And that's kind of what's happened with a lot of these, some of these Duke players recently, right? Um, a Cam Reddish type, right? That's, that's a good example. Yep. Um, so I, I think Jalen Green, like I said, I have at number five to clean out my top five. Um, but yeah, I think there's so many good college prospects. There's so many, Moses Moody from Arkansas, uh, James Springer, Keon Johnson, I could go on all day. You know, there are a couple guys that I like that are sleepers that I think can slip into the lottery, like like a Kessler Edwards from uh, Pepperdine. I don't know if you've seen much from him, but he's a fantastic player too. They're just, there's so much talent in college this year. There's so much talent in the G League. I'm really excited for this NBA draft. But yeah, if I were to uh, knock it down right there, number five, Jalen Green, <laughs> number four, Jalen Suggs, number three, Kaminga, number two, um, number two, uh, Evan Mobley, and then number one, Cape County. 
That's that's a great five though. That is a great five you got, Aaron. I'm, I, I I got no complaints. I mean, I was probably I I was probably thinking Cooper as well as he would probably be the one I would maybe flip in or out. But Jalen Green has drastically improved already in the first week and a half in the bubble. So I I want to say thank you to you for taking some time out of your Thursday night. I greatly appreciate it. It was a mm-hmm. pleasure to have you on. Why don't you give uh, yourself a quick shout out? Where we, can we find your content? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find me on um, Twitter, AC underscore hoops. Um, that's where I'll tweet out a bunch of clips for college basketball on any given night, as well as G League during the day. Um, and then obviously go follow us on Instagram at basketball society underscore. That's where you'll find all my stuff. And then basketball society online.com will just be basketball society.com shortly. Watch out for that. But you can see all my articles on there all the reports I've done um, and just keep following along. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you again. It was much, it was such a pleasure to have you on my man. Yeah. Thank you, Blaine. It was awesome. Of course. All right, everybody. That's our interview with Aaron from basketball society. Be ready. Stay tuned. We got some special episodes on the way, even starting tomorrow. We are going to have a massive surprise for you guys on final whistle. Enjoy your evening.